You interact with people every day, more people than you may realize. Some interactions are quick and might never happen again. Some interactions are quick but happen pretty regularly. Some are longer and more personal. Some last a lifetime. We don't believe that these interactions happen by coincidence. We believe that each interaction is an opportunity, an opportunity to share the love of Christ with a hurting world. Are your interactions making a difference? Welcome to Northridge, whether you are online, on TV, you are at the Rochester campus or the Webster campus, we're really glad that you are with us. Today is week two of our series, Living Pi Squared. My name's Aaron, I'm the Henrietta campus pastor, and we're really glad, thrilled that you have joined us today. Thank you for being part of what God is doing at Northridge Church. So Living Pi Squared, we're all talking, we're talking, spending some time on this idea of Pi Squared, and if you've been around Northridge for a little while, I hope that you've heard us say that at some point, although it's not always obvious what Pi squared means because right off the bat the math doesn't work and if that's always bothered you that there's not a parenthesis around the I we know the math doesn't work it just looks weird if you put a parenthesis okay so just roll with it give us some grace pi squared stands for P-I-I pray invest invite that is our outreach approach here at Northridge pray invest invite and so that's what we're spending this entire series talking about and today is going to be all about that second word that word invest and we're going to be focusing on that all the, the, for the whole time that we have together this morning. Um, but before we get there, I just want to ask a question. I think we should be asking, if you, if you know how Northridge operates, one question we should be asking is, what's the biblical basis for this? At Northridge, we say that the source of everything we do is the Bible. So whatever it says we should do is what we want to do. So where did pi squared come from? Did we make this nonsense up? Is it from the Bible? I'm pretty sure there's not any pi squared math in the Bible. What's going on? Where did we get it? Um, let's talk about that a little bit before we get to the idea of investment. It all boils down to Jesus' last command that he gave his followers right before leaving earth to return to be with his father in Matthew 28. He said this, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. How so? Two ways. First, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So baptizing and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Again, if you've been around for a little while, I'm hoping that that sounds familiar. If you haven't been around, you're newer to church or Christianity, we are so glad you're here. You don't have to know anything to be part of the family here. We're so glad that you're checking things out. And even if you're not sure what you think about God, we're again honored that you would be a part of what God is doing in our church and being part of our family today. Uh, but this command should be familiar to those who have been around our church because we talk about it a lot. Jesus' command is to make disciples in two ways. First of all, by baptizing them. Second of all, by teaching them. Baptism was just a way in that culture to signify that you were joining a club or a group. So he's saying, I want you to baptize people. In other words, get more people to identify with following after me. And then second of all, to teach them to follow my commands. In other words, we want more people joining the movement and that they would be learning to follow Jesus more accurately over time. Um, so we've taken this mission statement that he gave his disciples, and we've broken it down this way. We like to say that we want to glorify God by making more and better disciples. More, that's baptizing. Better, that's teaching them to obey. That's our whole purpose for the existence of our church, is to make more and better disciples. And this series is specifically about how we make 
more disciples. And the way that we make more disciples is by living a pi-squared life, which is why we're centering on it so much. It is our outreach approach. It's the biggest way that we make more disciples is by living a pi-squared life. So this three-week series really breaks it down into detail as to how we're supposed to do that. And today is all about invest. But what do we mean by invest? Are we talking about money? Let's just get a working definition. And I would say it this way, that to invest is simply the process of developing genuine friendships. It's just the process of developing genuine friendships. Uh, Getting to know people, investing them, putting time into the process. But I think that that should actually lead us back to the biblical basis question because it's like, okay, where do we get that from the Bible? Because prayer, if you're familiar with the Bible, seems like a reasonably Bible thing to do. And invite, where you talk about Jesus, also seems like kind of a Bible-y thing to do. But investing, where did we get that? Is that in the Bible? Why did we include that step? So let's jump in, spend some time on the why of investment. Why do we feel that this is important? Biblically speaking. And I'll just admit this up front. If you're hoping for a Bible verse that says, thou shalt make friends before thou dost share the gospel with them or something. Um, I'm sorry to disappoint you. The Bible doesn't sound that weird, first of all. And second of all, it doesn't have a command like that, okay? So it's not gonna be there. But that doesn't mean that investment doesn't matter. Sometimes in the Bible, in the absence of a direct command, we can look for biblical patterns and see if there's something there that we can learn from. So I think we can look for biblical patterns here. And when we look at how the message about Jesus spread during the early years of its spread, what you can notice is that most of the time it happened through existing relational channels. Relational channels. There's a bunch of examples of this. I just want to give you two. So in John chapter 1, verse 40, we read this. That Andrew, who was Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. Okay, you don't need a lot of context. All you need to know here is that Andrew hears about Jesus, and the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Okay, again, it doesn't matter who these people are. It doesn't matter what's going on. Just notice the pattern. Somebody hears about Jesus, they believe in Jesus, and they immediately go to their friends and family first to tell them about Jesus. Their existing circle of influence is where they begin. Just a few verses later, we find out about this dude named Philip. Philip found Nathaniel, who we know from another part. This is his boy. These guys are friends. Philip found Nathaniel and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law. Again, what we're seeing here is a friends first pattern. And this is just two examples, but it could be multiplied throughout the New Testament. People who followed Jesus immediately put their social connections to work for the purpose of spreading the message of Jesus. And that pattern is one that we feel doesn't have to stop with people 2,000 years ago because God has placed you in your job and in your neighborhood and in your class for a reason. So the people that you know, we need to remember, they're not just random people you know. They are people that God has arranged to be in your life. And if we want to be making more disciples, then what better place to start than with the people that we already know, right? And so that's a biblical pattern that we think is worth copying. But also, there's actually a more practical reason that we believe that the invest phase matters because there's just a practical reality that I think we have to recognize in this moment. And that is that when it comes to big life decisions, people tend to trust experts or their close friends when it comes to getting advice. 
I would assume that's not terribly controversial. That seems reasonable, right? But what does it mean in this context that we go to experts and to our friends? Well, it just means that while it is possible that someone at Wegmans would walk up to you and say, hey, uh, are you a Christian? I have some questions about my eternal destiny. It's possible, right? I mean, it could happen, but as far as we can tell, it's not all that likely. And it's simply because people listen best to people that they trust. People listen best to people that they trust. That's just how it is. It's not really that profound. It's just a reality. And so I'm not sure why as Christians, if you've been around Christianity, you you know this, we get real enamored with the possibility of having this like life-changing conversation randomly at the grocery store or something. I don't know why we get that way. That can't possibly be the most effective method for sharing the message of Jesus, right? And, And I'll prove that by saying, think about it this way. If you are a Christian here today, you're listening, you're watching. What kind of encounter at the grocery store would it take for you to change your mind about your view of Jesus? That would be a pretty remarkable moment, right? That sounds kind of insane. Like, what would it take for you to convert to Buddhism after a five-minute conversation with a stranger in the deli section? A lot of something, right? That sounds crazy to us. Yet, when we think about sharing our faith in Jesus, we imagine that people's minds are like blank slates, and they're just walking around hoping that someone is going to enter into their sad, empty mind and download a correct view of God randomly, right? But that's not how they are. That's not how you are. Why would we think that's how they are? Whether or not people have consciously cultivated a view of God, they do have a set of assumptions about him. In fact, some people have firm convictions about him. And they're not looking to have their views changed by a stranger, right? But they might be willing to listen to their best friend whose continued presence in their life in both the good and the bad seasons of life has always made them wonder if maybe they're missing something. Maybe they would listen to their roommate who despite their lack of partying seems to have more joy than anybody they've ever known. Maybe, just maybe, they would listen to them. And that is the power of investment. That's the potential that investment has. It's not just a biblical pattern, it's a practical reality. People tend to listen to people that they trust. It's true for you, it's true for your friends who don't yet know Christ. And it is that reality that we think is important that we leverage for the sake of spreading the message of Jesus. But immediately, when I say the word leverage, some of you just cringed a little bit, right? Like, oh, leverage? That sounds kind of grimy, doesn't it? Right? I mean, like, friendship is intensely personal. We don't like to think about leveraging friendships because it starts to feel, like, really gross. I'm like, ah, I don't like that. Like, when somebody invites you over for coffee and all of a sudden, like, you're in their multi-level marketing scheme. It's like, how how did I get here? I don't want this anymore. You can have your coffee back, you know? It doesn't feel good. We're like, ah, I feel trapped. So why... Why would we do this to other people? We've established that investment matters, why it matters, but let's talk about some of the tensions that exist with it because there are things we have to think through. There are two extremes I think we can fall into when it comes to investment, and the first extreme I think is by far less common. This is not the most common approach. But this is a person who views everyone in their life who doesn't know Christ as simply a project, okay? They're only making friends so they can like, 
hide in the shadows of the friendship and wait for it. And then like sneak attack some Jesus in there. Got him. You know? Okay, that's weird. It's getting real weird. But um, it's weird the first time, super weird the third time. Um, But yeah, they have no interest in people as people. They just want a pie squared trophy, right? And so their heart is not in this. When it comes to this friendship, their heart is not in it. And when we do this, the outcome is awful. I would say that investment without heart is manipulative. It's manipulative. And we've all been on the wrong end of this, even if it's not related to faith, right? We've been on the wrong end of a manipulative relationship. Whether it's your boss, who you, like, you find out at some point, like, oh, they were only nice to me because I always ran that report for them. Great. Or maybe it's that person who like used to be cool and they were neighbors, they'd like hit you up, you'd call, text, hang out, whatever, and then you said no to their invite to church and they start ghosting on you. Oh, is that, is that too personal, right? We've done that, right? We've been there. But this kind of friendship is not friendship. Your friends that are far from God know that it's a possibility that you're only in this for the conversion thing. So they're sniffing for anything phony. Nobody likes a phony, you don't, I don't, they don't. We have to see people as people who matter to God. Our invitation to chill has to be because we want to talk with them and hear their story and tell their jokes and hear their jokes and laugh and enrich our lives with a connection. If you're not interested in people once you find out that they're not interested in church, I think we need to step back and realize God does not view them as simply somebody who is in or out of the Christian club. He views them as an invaluable resource worth sending his son to die for. So don't devalue people with a phony friendship. And I say that this is, uh, I think, the less common category because I think most of us sense this intuitively. We don't want to be a jerk. We, there's a good part of us that doesn't want to live this way. So we have good motives and we don't act this way. But then I also think that we have a bad reason that we aren't like this. And that's because in order for us to be like this, we would have to be very upfront and bold about our faith, which we aren't. And so no one could ever accuse us of being manipulative, trying to sneak Jesus in there. We've never mentioned him. So we're not being manipulative, which leads us, I think, to the second and more common error or tension involved with investment. And this is the person who desires that their friends would come to know Christ and genuinely works to get outside of their Christian bubble to make friends and not so they can just sneak some Jesus in there but because they care about people and they wanna get to know them. And so they do the work of striking up conversations and walking across the dorm hallway, taking that first step and then something blossoms into a real, genuine, meaningful friendship and all the while, in the back of their heads, they're thinking, all right, don't be weird about the Jesus thing, okay? We're gonna work on this. I'm just going to make sure we're cool. You know, we're kind of getting things set. I'm going to make sure they know I care. I'm there for them. And I'm just going to wait for Christmas, all right? Christmas, big invite time, Christmas. I'm going to do it, all right? Christmas is coming. Okay, I missed Christmas. All right, that's fine. Easter's coming, all right. Okay, Easter, got it. I'm going to work it in there, okay. Okay, not Easter. All right, next time, we're going to to find a way. And before you know it, years have gone by, and they have made a friendship. They are now best friends with someone. We are best friends with people who are far from God and we've never done anything that could be described as making progress towards stating the importance of Jesus in our everyday life. I mean, does that sound familiar to you? That's exactly how I can be about this. 
If investment without heart is manipulation, man, these people like me, we've got plenty of heart. We just have no urgency. But that's just as bad. Investment without urgency is cruel. Investment without urgency is cruel. And what do I mean by cruel? Well, if the Bible is right about life after death, and I believe that it is, then anyone who dies without a relationship with Christ is headed for an eternity that you would not wish on your worst enemy. And yet we, in Christ, hold the key to them avoiding punishment and instead having acceptance and joy and peace for eternity. And yet we walk through life with no, relation, no urgency in this relationship at all. We are essentially withholding the keys to solving their greatest need. And I can't think of any way to describe that but cruelty. It's, again, no doubt, this is the side of the problem that I fall on. I convince myself I'm always in the, like, early phases, right? I'm just still trying to be the cool guy. Like, yeah, relatable, fun, they like to be around me. Ah, don't worry, I'll get to talking about Jesus, it'll be fine. But the years slip by, and nothing, and that is cruel. It's not investment, it's robbery, And we believe at Northridge that we must find a way to see those in our lives who don't yet know Christ as people who matter to God, even if they never trust Christ. While also never forgetting that we have a calling from God to maximize every opportunity he gives us to tell people about Christ. That is a tension to manage. It's not a problem to solve. And I'd love to show you a video, actually, of a couple of friends who I think showed us exactly what this can look like. So check out this video. I grew up in a Christian home. I don't really remember my life before Christ because it's all I've ever known. I didn't grow up in a Christian home, but I remember wanting to go to church when I was a kid. Before Christ, I was most focused on work and an abusive relationship that I had been in for a little over two years. I thought those were the most important things and that I was just existing and had no purpose. I had been struggling with anxiety and depression during these times, and being around those people persuaded me to do bad things like drink and smoke marijuana. I did these things to please those around me. I had lost myself and it got to a point where I didn't even know who I was anymore. I remember praying with my dad when I was seven. When I was 12, I rededicated my life to the Lord. I knew that I was a sinner and Jesus died on the cross for my sins, so I asked him to take control of my life. So when I met Hannah, she introduced me to Northridge Church where I met some of the most amazing people. I felt accepted, wanted, and that I actually fit in somewhere. I felt like that was where I was supposed to be. Around three months ago, I started praying every day and that was the biggest thing that helped me overcome my anxiety and fully trusting in God. The more I prayed, the more free I felt and the less anxiety I had. I knew it was what I needed to do because I'm a sinner and Jesus died for my sins. I asked for forgiveness and put everything into God's hands from that point forward. Even though Jesus has always been a part of my life, I've definitely grown a lot over the past few years. I have such a burden for the lost. I'm constantly trying to be a light to my coworkers. I met Sarah when she became my coworker about two and a half years ago. Since the beginning, I invited her to go to church and church events. Even when she didn't want to go or couldn't go, I kept trying. It was after she came to Northridge that she finally accepted Christ into her life. I'm so excited to take this next step with her and I can't wait to see what God has for our future. I feel like I'm a whole new person and I've changed a lot for the better. I'm happier and more calm knowing that I can fully trust God and don't have to worry about anything. I feel like I'm living more in the now rather than trying to always worry about the future. I feel like my life isn't as foggy as it was. I'm so grateful for Hannah, her family, and everyone at Northridge. 
and I can't wait to continue to grow as a person and build this relationship with God. So today, I'm getting baptized to say publicly that Jesus is the leader of my life and the forgiver of my sins. It is so cool that we're talking about investment today because you are so great at investing in other people far from God and caring about them. It's crazy to see you be a young adult leader and care for people and love on them and such a blessing to walk alongside you in your faith journey. So with all that said, I want to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So today, I'm getting baptized to say publicly that Jesus is the leader of my life and the forgiver of my sins. Sarah, it has been fantastic to walk with you in your journey with God. Your honesty has been refreshing and so exciting to see. You made the starting point so real and so authentic and fantastic. Um, it's been great to just walk alongside you. I love hearing so much from you. With all that said, I'm baptizing you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Wow. That's truly an amazing picture of what it can look like. And I do want to apologize. Sorry about that audio being not the clearest to hear. Jesus' command was to baptize. That clearly happened. He didn't say that we had to have perfect microphones every time which is a blessing. <laughs> Bless up. Anyway, no, but we're extremely excited for Hannah and Sarah. I mean, what a depiction. I, don't hope, I hope you noticed they mentioned that was years. I mean, that's them working together all the time. That's lots of conversations. That's even a rejection or two in there, but that's what investment can do, and God can use that to accomplish amazing things. So we've talked all about investment, why we should do it, some of the tensions related to it, but I think there are two things we still need to cover with the time that we have left. Uh, We need to cover who should I be investing in and how should I be investing in them, okay? That's how we're going to spend the rest of our time together, uh, starting off with the who, the who of investment. No, I'm not talking about the World Health Organization. No, I am not talking about the band The Who. Um, If you don't know who the band The Who is, you might be my age, okay? Okay. But anyway, okay, so who should you be investing in? Well, the simple answer to this question of who is just your pie squared list. It's your pie squared list. This is what Mark talked about last week, that we should have a list, everyone at Northridge who calls it home, should have a list of four people or groups of people that you're praying for every day. A family member, a friend, a neighbor, and a coworker or a classmate. If you've never made one of those lists before and you wanna do that, I'd encourage you to do it right now. Think of four people in your life you could be praying for every day. This is an awesome way to remember our calling, but it doesn't have to be limited to that. We should be thinking of every late relationship in our life with someone who doesn't know Christ as a chance to genuinely invest, not faking it, but with an eye toward using that relationship as a bridge for the gospel. And that list, I think, helps us focus on the most crucial relationships. Um, And over the last week, I've signed up for the prayer text reminders that we've been sending out. You can do that at iwant.info. Anybody, you can go to that website right now, type in your phone number, and you'll get a daily text reminder for the remainder of this series that can help you remember to pray for people. It's been great for me to get that first thing in the morning and to be praying for these people on my list. And I just want to make a quick note about the who here. Um, The longer you follow Jesus and the longer you get into church, the harder I believe this becomes. 
Uh, It's not a bad thing that you become friends with more Christians. In fact, I think it's actually a very good thing. But it's really easy to begin living inside of a bubble and to lose your contact with the people who don't know Christ yet. And so this is going to require intentionality in particular for people who have been Christians for a lot of years. So that's the who, it's our pi squared list, but let's turn now to the how. Let's close with some practical steps. How are we supposed to do this? I'm going to be giving you some general principles, um, but honestly, this is really as simple as just how to make a friend, okay? Um, I, I know making friends isn't always that simple, but there are some general principles I think we can all recognize. It's really just about how to authentically invest and make friends with other people. So here's some big picture tips that we're gonna move through quickly. And the first one I would just say is to be present. If you wanna know how to invest, just be present. And by this, I just mean be the kind of person who is accessible, right? Don't take every break at work by sitting on your phone at your desk. Okay? Don't be the kind of person who drives in from work and immediately runs inside your house and never comes outside again. Or don't skip all your family gatherings even though some of them are awkward. Okay, I know that that's tempting, but actually be there. If you're in the room, if you're the kind of person who shows up in the room, then you have opened the first door to a potential of friendship and connection. Second of all, initiate. Be present and then initiate. Once you're at the point you know, with a neighbor or a coworker where you've kind of exchanged phone numbers or whatever, or maybe you like low-key Facebook stalked them a little bit and you message them or whatever. I'm not judging, I'm saying that happens. Um, be the person who sends that first text. Give them a call. See if they're free. Like next Friday, like put an actual date on the calendar. We've all played that game, you know, where you see the neighbors like, hey, we should totally grab a bite sometimes. Like, oh yeah, neighbor, we totally should. Hey, First of all, don't talk to your friends like that. That's weird. Um, I, I, don't know why, I don't know why that's how that came out. But um, don't do that because it's polite. I mean, everybody does that. Man, we all feel good. We do this exchange. It's obligatory. We'll have you over. We'll have you over. No, I'm having you over. You know, we do that, and everybody feels great about themselves, and nobody goes over to anybody's house. Actually send a text with a date. Would you like to come on this day? You'll be amazed what happens. Make the first move. We should be the kind of people who do. Third, capitalize on life rhythms. Again, this is a little bit one-on-one, but just think about it. Everybody eats, right? Everybody eats at some point. Everybody drinks coffee. I've heard rumors that some people don't. I don't believe it, okay? Everybody does. Lots of people's kids play sports. Lots of people's kids need rides to the sports that your kids play together or whatever. Like, people are doing a lot of the same stuff. People are actually right now advertising still that they've got high school seniors who are leaving for college soon or or already have. In their front yard, they've got a sign that says, I have a high school senior. That's an invitation to send them, like, plastic totes and shampoo or something, whatever college kids are needing these days. I don't know, face masks, whatever. Um, But capitalize on the stuff that we're all already thinking about and use it as a chance to make a friend. Fourth, find common ground. Find common ground. As you get to know people, even at the surface, look for things that you have in common. It could be sports teams that you both love or that you both hate or that you both have a nice looking lawn or in my case that you both have a terrible looking lawn or, uh, you know, I don't know, you have the same landlord or you have the same building supervisor who has like that weird quirk that everyone's like, did you see that, you know? Um, Whatever it is, maybe you both just got your driver's license or you're about to get braces or you're gonna get your braces off, whatever it is. The list could go on forever because humans have a remarkable amount of life similarity if you're willing to look for it. So look for ways that you can connect with other people on common ground. And then fifth and finally, what we can do is ask good questions. 
Ask good questions. One of the best ways to make a friend, you'll be amazed how well this works, is to ask a question about someone's life or occupation and then listen to their response. Somebody better write that down. That's good, all right? And then, when they're done talking, ask another question and listen to that response. It's remarkable. I'm telling you, nobody's doing that right now. Ain't nobody listening at this moment in our culture. You will stand out as somebody. They're going to feel like you're their best friend in the world if you're willing to hear people's words. And I'm just saying, those five things I just said, if you're single right now, that is some hot tips for finding a spouse. (laughs) No joke. They would work. Put them into practice. Apply the Bible to life. Anyway, um, but seriously, it's just a way to make friends. It's a way to be the kind of person that people like to be around. Now, obviously, I want to med- mention a big wrinkle in all of this. It's a little thing called COVID, <laughs> right? It's kind of hard to do most of the things I just said because of COVID. So how do we do the things I just said in a post-COVID world? Here's my quick take, okay? With all of the COVID craziness, online school, remote work, all that kind of stuff, I think that where you live is more relevant to living a pie squared life than it has ever been before. An amazing book that talks about this is a book called The Art of Neighboring. It's a simple, profound book that I would recommend you could pick it up this week or read or listen to it. And I love the very simple question it asks right up front. What it asks is, and it might sound silly, but I think it's really amazing. It's, what if when Jesus said to love your neighbor, he meant your actual neighbors too? right? Because I think we tend to imagine what neighbors mean, and we forget it could mean literally the people who live near you. And so actually, we're going to link to a podcast with those authors this week that I listened to that I thought was awesome, super helpful. Link to it in the equip email. If you've never signed up for that weekly weekly email, you can do that at iwant.info. Super helpful resource every week. And actually, on our own Northridge podcast this week, we're going to be focused, I'm going to be bringing some people in who I think are great at this, at investing, especially in a post-COVID world, in their neighborhood. So we've got a bunch of practical tips, a million little things that you could do that could make a difference near with the people that live near you. Because I, I want you to think about it this way. What if COVID is the best pi squared opportunity of our lifetime? What if it was? And what if we were thinking about it that way? Because all the hustle and bustle, it's at least been, you know, somewhat slowed down. Your neighbors are like trapped in their homes or apartments We likely have more access to them than we ever have. And there are tons of small things, like whether it's just sitting on the front porch instead of the back porch when you're, you know, sitting down after dinner or whatever it is. There's so many small things that we can do to be present, to make the most of the reality that people right now are relationally isolated and they live 100 feet away from you. It might be the best pi squared opportunity of our lifetime. Like I said, I really encourage you to check out the podcast this week. We're going to give a bunch more tips. You can listen on social media. We post those on Facebook or on your favorite podcast app, whatever. I'd love to have you join us there. But regardless, the thing I want you to remember today is simply this. People listen best to people they trust. And if people listen best to people they trust, then whose trust am I intentionally gaining this week for the sake of relationally investing and spreading to them the message of the gospel? Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for investing in us. Thank you for showing us what investment looks like when we were enemies. We weren't your friends. We weren't your neighbors. We had had nothing to do with you. Yet you came and invested in us in a way that showed us that while we were still sinners, you were willing to die for us and take our place. I pray that that 
kind of love would compel us to a life that makes a radical difference in the people that you put in our path. In Christ's name, amen. Hey, I just want to say a big thank you. Thank you so much for being with us today. I recognize that whether you're watching online, watching online can just feel like another Zoom meeting, right? And we've all got plenty of those in our life. Thank you for taking the time to do it. Or whether, if you're in person, I also recognize leaving the house right now kind of feels like a miracle a little bit. So I recognize there's a lot with the masks and all the kinds of things and the social distancing. Thank you for letting us have a voice into your life, into your week. Thank you for being part of what God is doing here at Northridge. And thank you so many of you who are willing to invest and serve and make a difference. If you want to connect with us, you can go to iwant.info. There's a real person waiting on the other side of the phone number you'll see there. They would love to text with you right away to get any information. If you'd like to go the more anonymous route, there's some buttons you can click, send your info, and we'll get you more info that you can check out at your own time. And if you're with us in person, we would love to see you out in the lobby at Next. Thank you guys so much for being here. We'll see you next Sunday.